1: It is seven minutes after six o'clock. Sports beat continues on this Wednesday evening. I'm Darren Pritchett. Fifty-three days away from the start of the Irish football season, game one against Navy in Dublin. Two thirty kickoff, South Bend time. Seven thirty kickoff in Dublin, which means fall practice will start in about three weeks or so here in South Bend. Let's talk Notre Dame football right now with. Our Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, Tyler Horka. Do you have another vacation planned before the start of the football season, or are you all in now?
2: I'm actually, well, I wouldn't say on vacation right now because I've been working through it. It's easy easy to do that in this business, just kind of work from home. Yes. If you're if you've got Wi-Fi, you can write an article, right? But um, <laughs> I, my brother had his first child on Monday, so I'm in Texas. I'm oh. a 48-hour uncle right now, I guess you could say. So it's been pretty cool to be back home for that. and uh, Yeah, I'll, it, I will take this over going to some beach somewhere. It was a pretty special moment for the family.
1: Well, congratulations first off, and I didn't know you were out of town, so I appreciate you jumping on board here and talking football. You sure didn't have to do that as you're in, enjoying your first nephew.
2: No, nah, it's all right. They, they just left the hospital today, and they wanted some time alone at home, so I was gotcha. kind of with them at the hospital. And then what better thing to do once you get home than to, uh, than to <laughs> talk some Notre Dame football? So let's do it. I'm locked in. Let's go. All
1: right. I appreciate it. I'm going to steal from your Hey Horka segment on blueandgold.com where you take questions from Blue and Gold subscribers. And I think somebody asked a very fair and a fun question. Because everybody has different thoughts on where Notre Dame football is right now. And I found one of your subscribers had a great question. Do you think Notre Dame is fully committed to winning a national championship in football?
2: Yeah, you'd get a lot of people from our message board and Twitter and wherever else that would probably lean towards saying no, just because fully, I mean, I take that at the literal definition of the word you have to be all in and everything has to be all systems go and you kind of kind of have to pull the strings like georgia has and alabama and some of those teams that are playing for the national championship how state just got to commit over uh, notre dame and some other really high profile schools obviously i won't mention the name because it may be too soon but if you're listening to this then you probably know who i'm talking about but it, it's the recruiting it's the facilities it's Uh, the NIL and and what you know and that's not all on the school obviously that's up to the donor base but it's, it's just I would answer that question and say for the most part yes I mean look Marcus Freeman obviously wants to win a national championship those are the two words that he has said the most since he was promoted to head coach almost two years ago now the players obviously want to win a national championship they go to Notre Dame and they see all those banners hanging in the IAC and Everyone talks about the glory days and how awesome it was when Notre Dame was winning national championships in the 70s and then last in 1988, but <clears throat> I did answer it this way. I think it has been enough time now where there are coaches, obviously the players, um, and even a lot of the people who have rooted for this team in the last 30 years that don't know what it's like to win a national championship and until you you get one. Uh, I mean, look at Alabama. They had a little drought before Nick Saban showed up, but once he got that one, they've been on a roll. Clemson went on its roll. Georgia is on its roll right now. So all of those schools were fully committed at some point. Nick Saban showed up, full commitment. Davo Sweeney started rolling at Clemson, full commitment. Kirby Smart at Georgia, full commitment. So if Marcus Freeman gets one, then yeah, I mean, I think this thing can go on a little bit of a roll, and there's going to be full commitment, and everyone's going to know what it feels like. But until then... Uh, it's hard to say that Notre Dame's level of commitment is up to par with Alabama's and Georgia's because the reality of the situation is it's probably not because, This is a place that they they don't really know how to get it done yet here.
1: Well, and one area you can point to is the inability to get undergraduate transfers into Notre Dame. That's a major stumbling block, and that is a big deal from the standpoint. If you're a team that's on the verge of being a playoff team or a championship team, to be able to go out and go shopping and grab somebody that maybe can be that final piece, it's very, very, very difficult for Notre Dame to do that at this particular yep. time. So until then, that's a major stumbling block that Marcus Freeman really can't control.
2: Totally agree with you there. And it's it's also something that he can't really comment on. I know yep. I talked to him last month and I wrote the article about it, but I mean, I tried to make it fresh and new, but it's really the same thing that has been the case since he's been the head coach here. Is, yeah, we're trying and we'd like it to be a little easier to get guys in here. But right now the reality is, it's really dang difficult, and that's why you see them going to a lot of other other places.
1: What about this, Tyler? What is your definition of a successful 2023 Notre Dame football season?
2: I think uh, a, a successful season would be improvement, obviously, and and that was kind of a low bar last year in Marcus Freeman's first year, going eight and four. So. I think a success would be nine and three. And I'm honestly leaning toward that being what Notre Dame puts forth this year. We put our Notre, or our blue and gold illustrated uh, preview magazine, the yearbook out. Uh, I think those have started arriving in mailboxes, which is really cool to see when I get back uh, from Texas, back to South Bend, hopefully there's one waiting for me there. And, and I know for, it will be in the office, but uh, yeah, I put nine and three in my predictions there. I think a lot of people are putting the barometer at a double-digit regular win regular season, though, and I think that would be highly successful, honestly. So, nine and three is successful. Ten and two against this schedule would be. I I mean, that'd be either the, the line of thinking. Say this team goes ten and two, either the Irish go one and two against USC, Clemson, and Ohio State, or two and one against those teams and then lose to somebody else. And there are a couple games. We've talked about it over the summer, Darren, where you look at NC state and you're like, man, I wouldn't be completely shocked if Notre Dame goes off the road and loses that game or even Duke with Riley Leonard and Mike Elko, the head coach. So I think 10 and two would be a really successful season because that means you beat some pretty good teams along the way, nine and three, marginally successful because at the end of the day, that would be a little bit better than 2022.
1: Tyler Horkin, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated. Read his work at blueandgold.com. I picked up Phil Steele's college football preview the other day, and I've been doing some research through that magazines on some of the Notre Dame opponents, and I found it interesting in the Notre Dame section. He felt like that Notre Dame could have a top 10 defense in 2023, and he ranked the defensive line 17th best in the country. He has much greater expectations than I do. I'm not saying the defensive line is going to be bad. I'm just saying there are so many question marks and so many really good players gone that I am hesitant to be that excited about this particular unit. Now, if Jordan Patello becomes the player that many people believe he can be, a difference maker coming off the edge, maybe a double-digit sack guy for this football team, And you couple that with a guy like Riley Mills, okay, I'll get excited about this defensive line. But even with that being said, it seems like that's lofty expectations for the defensive line. But don't you agree, if Notre Dame is going to end up in that elite category, Botello has to be really, really good.
2: Yeah, they really need him to get double-digit sacks because I don't see it coming from anybody else on this roster, to be quite honest with you. Uh, Riley Mills, I know everyone is, was excited at this time last year for him to be, you know, kind of a breakout player at strong side defensive end. And uh, he struggled with the quarterback a little bit from that spot and they ended up moving him back to the inside. And I think that's where you see him mostly this year. And then obviously if you're a defensive tackle, you're not expected to get to the quarterback for sacks. So he's not a double-digit guy in my estimation. I don't think Javante Jean-Baptiste is going to be a double digit sack guy either I mean what a depth piece you know someone that was obviously had a really nice program at Ohio State and played there for four years I think it was so he's had a you know a full career there and he's going to finish it out at Notre Dame but I'm talking about a guy that has I think it's between eight to ten sacks for his entire career over the course of four years at Ohio State I really don't see him doubling that in one year at Notre Dame now maybe he goes out and gets you four or five and again that's really good depth but if you're looking at someone who can be the double-digit sack guy, or maybe even eight, nine, or 10, I think Notre Dame would take that from Jordan Patel. For me, it's going to be at the end of the year, he's the guy that that you're going to look at and be like, okay, here's your sack leader. Where I'm at though, I think that could be anywhere between five to seven could, could be leading on this team, or maybe he's a t- 10 to 12 guy. And Isaiah Foskey was, really pumping him up uh, during the draft process and saying, yeah, that's the next really good pass rusher at Notre Dame. And obviously this fan base has been hoping that that was going to be the case for a couple years. Now uh, it's time for him to go, go out there and show it because he's in a position where he's being counted on to be that guy. And then, like you said, Darren, the pieces around him, it just makes sense for him to be that guy because a lot of unproven players across that defensive line, a lot of potential – But you got to get the most out of these guys, and and that's Al Washington's task this year.
1: Tyler, as we start to look ahead to fall camp and focusing in on the safety position, what needs to be decided in the month of August leading up to that first game against Navy when you think about the safeties on this team?
2: Yeah, uh, we're having a little bit of a conversation uh, on blueandgold.com, the message board, about that today because uh, my colleague, uh, coming up on one year with us, or I mean one month with us, with us, I think that might be today. He started uh, in early June, and he wrote an article today that said, you know, basically, he thinks that the safety position is going to be worse than it was last year. And last year it wasn't very great, as everyone well knows. Notre Dame really struggled to break up passes. I mean, at the bottom of the FPS in passes broken up, barely 20, uh, 20 plus for the year. So they just need to find somebody that can you know, sit high safety and and kind of take away thirds of the field at a time because last year you thought that was going to be Brandon Joseph, and, and he was okay, but he wasn't really the, the rangy stud that you thought he was going to be, someone that can really close on the football, close on routes, make wide receivers think twice about running certain routes once they get past 10 to 15 yards from the line of scrimmage. I mean, there wasn't really much of that for Notre Dame last year, so you've got to – I think it's development on Chris O'Leary's part. Maybe it's the way he's teaching things. Obviously, these players have to take it upon themselves to say, okay, I understand the scheme. I know what I'm doing. Here's where I need to be, and I'm going to get there as fast as I can. If that's Xavier Watts, if that's Ramon Henderson, if that's the Antonio Carter kid that they brought in from the FCS level, you know, whoever it is, they've got to find somebody that can you know, really go sideline to sideline and make plays because that changes – the entire of the dynamic of a defense especially when you're playing some of those past happy teams like Ohio State and USC and even Clemson to a degree might be that way this year with the five-star quarterback kind of settling in in his sophomore year so really just got to find someone who's confident who's comfortable because I don't think Brandon Joseph ever fully got there in Notre Dame if it was the scheme switch I don't know what it was but you never really got to that point where you're like, yeah, he's that guy on the back end. Notre Dame needs to find out who that is.
1: Tyler Horkin, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. My guest, this is going back to something during, I guess, the post-Notre Dame football season from last year, but you sat down with Jack Swarbrick recently, and you wrote an article about the situation I call hockey game gate as Andy Ludwig, the Utah offensive coordinator, was visiting. And he was a candidate for the offensive coordinator position. He shows up at the Notre Dame hockey game with Coach Freeman and others. And as I've documented in my 25 years here, Notre Dame doesn't parade around candidates for the public to see. So this was on camera. This was in front of the public eye. It seemed like, well, he must be the next offensive coordinator. Well, for whatever reason, it didn't work out. You talked to Jack about that whole situation. Did you find out anything in particular you found interesting from that situation?
2: Yeah, I I still think it's a fascinating situation. And that's why I asked him about it. And that's why I wrote it. You'll have some people say, well, why are we dwelling on the past? Well, I guarantee you there are Notre Dame fans out there that still think about that certain sequence. So, uh, for me, it was, uh, I got a, a sense from Jack that he kind of has the whole hindsight is 2020. Maybe I shouldn't have done that type of feeling about it. Uh, I wouldn't say remorse, but kind of like slapping himself on the, on the back or on the knee or whatever it is saying, man, maybe I would have done it differently. But then he also told me, Hey man, this is kind of how I, I want Notre Dame to do things now. It's like, every, like you said, everyone knew that Andy Ludwig was in town from the moment someone tracked his flight or, took a picture of his plane when it was landing, whatever it was. I I do remember that people knew that he was there. So at that point, why not go in and kind of galliman around town and and lay out the red carpet and really, because to me, I think I believe him when he says, you know, it wasn't a done deal at that time. Like everyone was kind of assuming, I think that was more of, Hey, we're going to do everything we can to make it get to the point of being a done deal. And uh, I think the thing that, sting, uh, that stings for Swarbrick and especially Marcus Freeman is that they thought it was a done deal. I mean, it really sounds like from what Jack Swarbrick told me in that and what I wrote in that story that uh, he, he basically told them, "Hey, yeah, this is what I want to do. I'm going to be your offensive coordinator at Notre Dame." And then a day or two later, whatever it was, he kind of walked that back and said, "No, I, you know, I went back to Utah and this is where I want to be." So the whole thing is fascinating. And look, I, I I'll say one more thing about that whole situation. I think that, like you said, Darren, you've been around for 25 years. You've never really seen anything like this. I think it's because Notre Dame has a head coach that we've never seen anything like at this university, mm. right? Yeah. It's, it's a situation where Marcus Freeman, like, if Jack Swarbrick is the one, like he said, that came out and said, yeah, this is something that I want you to do. Take him to the hockey game. Take him to the public dinner. Imagine if he was telling that to Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly would have been like, "Ah." Uh, Absolutely not. We're gonna do this in secrecy, and we're gonna to try to make this a done deal behind closed doors. Marcus Freeman is like, yeah, I go to all these hockey games anyway. I would love for him to sit with me and let's talk football and and what we're kind of trying to see eye to eye on at a hockey game. I think that would be awesome. So I think Freeman, being the guy that's kind of the figurehead of this program right now, also had a lot to do with
1: it. Very interesting. Read more about this story of blue and gold com. Hey, i got to ask you one non Notre Dame football-related subject. You are a diehard Texas Ranger fan, and since you're back in Texas tonight, at yeah. the start of the year, did you see the Rangers being a contender for the AL West right now? They've got a two-and-a-half game lead over Houston in the AL West.
2: No, absolutely not. It's been a dream season of sorts, and I know it's only been half the season, but I've loved every minute of it. Um, it's, it's, they've fallen on harder times in June, but look, If you told me they were going to go 13 and 12 in June in February, I would have been like, yeah, sign me up for 13 and 12 every month, and then we'd have a winning record. But right now, it's even better than that. I mean, they're 51 and 35 or 36 Mm. or, or 37, maybe. Whatever it is, they've got 50 wins before the All Star break, and that's awesome. But one more thing on this I only got to go to one game in Arlington all year, and it was this week, and it was the whatever the heck happened on Monday in uh in that houston series where houston was winning six to nothing then ten to two (laughs) texas takes an 11 to 10 lead and then blows it in the bottom or in the ninth obviously so they lost 12 to 11 crazy game awesome game but i really wish uh we would have been on the right side of that one because i'm gonna have to remember it as a loss yeah it was nuts great time though
1: no question i mean this sincerely but there was a Twitter post, and since I'm a Cardinal fan and we're going through our worst year in a half a century, if mm-hmm. since the Cardinals are out of it, who are you going to pull for? And I said the Texas Rangers. And the reason I said that, and I mean this sincerely – The World Series we played in 13 was so gut-wrenching to be on the wrong side of that that I feel for you. And this is my Denver Bronco fandom coming out, being 0-4 in a Super Bowl at one point and having to live through all those bad losses. When you win, it is so absolutely cool. When they beat the Packers, it was still the highlight of my sports fandom. So for the Ranger fans to get to experience that first one after the misery of 13, I would be very (laughs) happy for them.
2: Well, we appreciate that because we've been uh, our hearts been laying on oh. the on the floor ever since then. That was uh, that was a like, I haven't seen my dad cry over sports losses very often. That was one of those few times. It was tough.
1: I had tears in my eyes because I couldn't believe what I was seeing, to say the least. Unbelievable. <laughs> yep. All yep. right, Tyler. This is the time for fans, if they're not subscribed to Blue and Gold, to jump on board because the train is leaving. The season is almost here.
2: Yeah, as you mentioned at the top of this interview, it's fall camp month. By the end of this month, we will have the best reporting on what's going on in South Bend, boots on the ground, covering practices. I think they're giving us a full practice to view right out of the gates, which is going to be awesome. So uh, I think that's July 26th. So you've got three, three and a half weeks to get there because once once that hits, and then obviously August 26th hits and this team will be off to Dublin to face Navy, uh, our coverage is going to be like an, an unlike anybody else's all year, and it's definitely the place to be if you're a diehard Notre Dame fan.
1: Congratulations to you and your family, and we will talk to you next week.
2: All right, perfect, Dan. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. That's Tyler Horca, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Twenty seven minutes after six o'clock, I'll be back with more Sports Beat next on WSBT.